are entering the Freedom Hut. Antifa Stan is preparing defenses in Seattle. More statue toppling and monument destruction. Media prepares COVID panic for Trump rallies. Kudlow says no systemic racism exists. Mnuchin says no second shutdown will happen. We got more casualties of cancel culture, plus a jaw-dropping update on the General Flynn case coming up. Buck Sexton. Permission. Decoding the news and disseminating information with actionable intelligence. One small Make no mistake. America. You're a great American again. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. I can speak for three hours without a phone call. Try doing that sometime. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. Thank you so much for joining. Great to have you here, as always. My, oh, my. Quite a, quite a day we have in store for you. We've been seeing these protest movements increasingly just turn into what they always are, which is left-wing mobilization efforts. What have I been telling you? What have I been saying here? And, and sure enough, uh, now we see how far they're going to take it. And I've mentioned... Occupy Wall Street before on this show. In fact, there's a certain I don't have a fondness for the movement, but I I think back with fondness to my days early on. In fact, producer Nick and I have been working with each other uh, since the Occupy Wall Street days. So we're going on now almost 10 years. Um, Producer Mark, you were in probably the second grade or something. I don't know. It's been a long time. But I I remember that this started out as a movement that had a tremendous amount of public support. People were were really mobilized behind this idea of Wall Street greed. And look, there was truth to it. There were things that happened during the Occupy Wall Street or rather that led up to Occupy Wall Street that you could point to as a reasonable, fair minded person and say, well, hold on a second. Why did Goldman Sachs get bailed out? a hundred cents on the dollar from its counterparty obligations to AIG. Shouldn't Goldman Sachs at least have taken a haircut, as they say on the street, meaning take a loss of some kind? Nope. Nope. No loss. No, no. So so there were real things. There were real issues. But then it just turned into, you know, socialism, Marxism, uh, LG, LGBTQ agenda items, all the stuff the left wants. It, and, it, and it grew in a way that you could see it. I mean, the, the signs went from Wall Street greed is a problem to all these other things. And you have the same thing right now with the Black Lives Matter movement. Now it has just become a, a, a as I've been telling you, a way to get left wing based turnout going to get them engaged, to get them excited and, and energized to try to uh, defeat Donald Trump and to just be the continuing opposition to Donald Trump going forward. So in a sense, this is your reminder that the statue toppling war memorial defacing church burning book banning TV show canceling Stalinists currently doing all they can to ruin our country. They have another name. The Democrat base. That's who's doing all of this. There are no Trump supporters pulling down statues. There are no Trump supporters attacking old ladies outside of their businesses and beating them with sticks. No, this is the left. The left unleashed the rage of the progressives and justified and excused by the mainstream media because they're cowardly and because it benefits them 
and their overall political cause. They're willing to overlook or downplay or completely lie about what's really happening with some of these movements because the overall movement they know is going to try and defeat Trump and push for progressive left wing agenda. That's it. That's all they really have to know. That's all that they care about. And we see this right now. I mean, there's so many things that I want to get to with you today. But one, one, of, one of them is the Free Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone. I mean, this, this is a thing now. I, I, I've mentioned it before, um, and, and this is up in Seattle. So they have created in the city of Seattle, which is far left progressive, and now they're trying to create one in Portland. They have this, this area that they have fenced off. Apparently walls do work. They have fenced off. It's about six to eight square blocks, and they are declaring it free of, of police, free of the government. They have effectively said that they, are, uh, they have seceded from the United States, or at least U.S. government authority no longer applies. There's some fascinating stuff going around the Internet. And, and before I get into this, because this is a perfect example of where the politicization of media coverage comes into play. If, let's say, there was a Tea Party movement underway right now and people aligned with the ideology of the Tea Party seized a section of a major city, were armed, were saying no police in, no one's allowed to come in and out without our say-so, they're effectively brandishing their insurrection. If the Tea Party did that, there would be demands to send in the National Guard, there'd be demands to send in the SEALs in the middle of the night and take everybody out. I mean, the, the libs would be losing their minds over this. And you know this. There was, a, what was it, the Mallor Wildlife Refuge that was seized by some you know, uh, right-wing anti-government activists. This is in the middle of nowhere. And people were, there was this whole debate over federal land, and, you know, and, and then we go back. I mean, there's all this... And it's hard to even remember because, honestly, it didn't really it didn't really uh, change much of the national conversation because the left was just saying, look at these crazy right wingers who with their guns want to do. And they just focused on on that as a major threat, as a major problem to the country. Are they doing that right now in Seattle? Are, are they saying, look at this ideology, look at look at what it has created in a major U.S. city? No, of course not. And all the different manifestations of what this has done, Seattle, Portland, I think you'll see this in other places. Remember, Occupy Wall Street was a similar, it started in New York, and they seized private property and set up a camp, and then it was, we're not moving, and you're going to have to send in, you know, men with clubs to bludgeon us to get us to leave, and that's what ended up happening. I was there the night they broke up the Zuccotti Park encampment. It was not pretty. But they did this in cities all over the country. Now, I would also say to you, did this change anything? Did, was the world a better place? Did we move forward as a society because of Occupy Wall Street? No. It was like radical cosplay, costume play, for those who don't know. I've, I've had to learn some terms in the last few years. It was posturing, preening as people that were revolutionaries. That's what it was. Didn't change anything, really. And 
just like the Black Lives Matter movement in the first in the first wave led to riots, a lot, a lot of talk, a lot of discussion, federal investigation of different police departments. Do we still have this, the very same complaints from the left and the Democratic Party that we did then? Yes, the exact same complaints. It has not changed. So I want to put the focus a little bit on something that the media won't. And clearly conservatives find this fascinating because not only does it show that the mayor of Seattle is an incompetent buffoon, perhaps in a running competition with New York City's Mayor de Blasio for the worst possible mayor you could ever be. Uh, But the mayor's an idiot, doesn't want to do anything about this. You have people with guns. Remember that. Now, if you have a gun legally in Michigan and you go outside the state capitol to protest, you're basically a domestic terrorist. If you are in Seattle and a lib and a leftist and you are carrying firearms and you are setting up barriers and barricades to a civilian area of a city, you are a free thinker. You're somebody that believes in justice. You're, you're, you're a good person. We know they have no standards, no honesty, no objectivity. But there's some fascinating stuff that's coming out of here. Uh, this was shared all over the Internet by w- apparently one of the people involved in this protest. And it's defending and maintaining the autonomous zone in the short term. Uh, electricity and water. So they're coming up with strategies. I mean, they're really going to try and stay And I've got to tell you, who thinks that they're not going to be able to stay for at least a while? You think that the Seattle Police Department's going to go in there when there are people who are armed and setting up barricades and fences? You think that the Seattle police is going to say, yeah, sure, let's let's crack down on this right now. Occupy Wall Street was on private property in violation of New York City laws for months, months. Didn't matter. Didn't matter. I think they had like they had. Weird diseases were breaking out there because the whole thing was so unsanitary. The place smelled like an open sewer. I went down there way too many times. Anyway, uh, here's what they're preparing for in the Seattle Autonomous Zone. Electricity and water could be cut to the Autonomous Zone, they write. So as many generators as possible ought to be acquired to maintain essential operations within the zone And gasoline should be stocked and stored throughout the zone, first to prevent large fires, and second, so that the entire stock isn't lost with the loss of a single area. It is unlikely that a well could be drilled in the autonomous zone, so supply lines of fresh water must be maintained. If the area is under siege, drones could be used to maintain the supply of water. That's going to be quite an airlift of those drones are going to be carrying a lot of water to keep people Hydrated, especially as we go into the warmer, uh, the warmer months here. Number two on this list of defending and maintaining the autonomous zone in the short term from one of the people organizing it or involved in it. Uh, there are likely cleaning supplies somewhere in the stores, in the autonomous zone. Bleach will be of interest. They almost certainly carry bulk hydrochloric acid. Combining these will produce chlorine gas, which if deployed on a group will force them to use gas masks, which is itself not ideal tactically, and no more men than there are quality gas masks available. So they're saying, here's how to make homemade chlorine gas in case the cops try to come in here and force and break this up. My friends, this is the sharing of tactics regarding chemical weapon usage against police officers. Do you see anyone... Is anyone pointing to this and saying there's something really wrong with the minds here and, and there's something really threatening with the ideas and the actions that are being taken here in the middle of Seattle? 
I wonder how long it is before someone tries to set up an autonomous zone. They're going for it in Portland, another wackadoo place, full of nutsos. Good food, interesting stuff going on there. Crazy folks living in Portland, a lot of them. If you listen to this show, obviously in the Portland area, then, well, then you're one of the normal good people, so congrats. <laughs> um, pushing back ground attacks and advancing the borders of the Capitol Hill Autonomous Zone, the C-H-A-Z. Oh, they even have a cute acronym for it. Oh, isn't that, isn't that nice? Mass line-based formations where the second line can continually come forward to relieve the front line, whether armed with sticks, guns, or whatever, should work well with defending narrow streets. The most important things are superior numbers, shielding, and discipline, unless the police start a massacre a well-disciplined line ought to be able to push even literally their, uh, the police back. So this is someone who's brainstorming the tactics of how they can fight back against the cops. What the heck is going on? Well, you won't hear about any of this from the media. They have very little interest in, in covering any of this. Uh, they also have very little interest, this was on Medium, in telling you what the demands are. Of these protesters, the demands of the collective black voices at Free Capitol Hill to the government of Seattle, Washington. They have actually listed uh, these demands out for you. Given the historical moment, we'll begin with our demands pertaining to the justice system. Remember, these people have seized a six to eight block radius of a major U.S. city. Police are not going in. They are the people that have seized this seized this are armed and. There's a declaration that this is no longer under the authority or sovereignty of the United States or the state of Washington. That's where we are here or the city of Seattle, all of the above. Number one demand, the Seattle Police Department and attached court system are beyond reform. We do not request reform. We demand abolition. That's right. Abolish police and courts. This, I thought this was about justice and, and preventing people from being killed by police. No, abolish the courts and the police. In the transitionary period between now and the dismantlement of the, of the police, we demand that the use of armed force be banned entirely. No guns, no batons, no riot shields, no chemical weapons, especially against those exercising their First Amendment rights. So no police force is allowed to be used of any kind. We demand an end to the school-to-prison pipeline and the abolition of youth jails. Yeah, you know, 15-year-olds want to go out there and as part of a gang initiation, slash somebody across the face with a razor blade. You just got to have a social worker show up and say, hey, please don't do that. That's all you need. We all know this. Number four demand here, that the city government nor the state uh, government um, launch a full-scale investigation into past and current abuses of police brutality. Number five, we demand reparations for victims of police brutality. Already people that are, when there's, when there's a police brutality case, can get huge settlements. Uh, we demand that the city, city of Seattle make the names of officers involved in police brutality a matter of public record. We demand a retrial of all people of color serving a prison sentence for violent crime by a jury of their peers in their community. Oh, okay, anybody who's serving a prison sentence for a violent crime gets another trial now. Gets another trial. Oh, okay. And do you know how long that will take? Let's just assume for a second they're going to do that. Do you know why the system is essentially now a system of plea bargains? 
because if we had to wait for everybody to go through the actual criminal justice system, it would become so clogged it would cease to function. Oh, almost like that's the point that they're demanding here. Uh, let's see. We demand that prisoners currently serving time be given the full and unrestricted right to move. I'm sorry, right to vote, rather. And for Washington State to pass legislation that allows them to vote. We demand people be given localized anti-crime systems. The right to, what, what is that? We demand for those who have been sexually harassed or abused um, by the Seattle Police Department. We demand justice. Okay, whatever that means. And then, oh, now they have economic demands. Here we go. You mean the left isn't just about justice for African-Americans that have been harmed by police? There's something else going on here? Oh, there's all the things. We demand the degentrification of Seattle, starting with rent control. We demand the restoration of city funding for arts and culture to establish the once rich local cultural identity of Seattle. We demand free college. We demand a decentralized election process. We demand hospitals. I mean, it just goes on. Okay, on and on and on and on. My friends, this is the insane left showing us who they are, what they're willing to do, how crazy their ideas are and how they're willing to use force and threats to get them. How is this not the biggest news story in the country? Oh, because they'd rather just focus on the celebrities making videos about how they're taking responsibility for all of the injustice. They're taking responsibility because they're so brave. Sure they are. We'll play that video for you later. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Oh, the statue toppling continues. It turns out that statue toppling can be a dangerous business, especially when you are in the midst of a frenzied mob. Somebody was actually severely injured doing this. I think it was in Virginia as the statue came crashing down upon someone who had a moment earlier been in a state of revelry, in a state of uh, celebration because of what had uh, what had occurred or what was occurring. Uh, But here's part of the issue. They're just tearing down statues that they don't even know what some of these statues are. So not only is the left aggressive, overly emotional, but also deeply ignorant. We'll get into more of this. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. More statues destroyed, more shows canceled, more people fired. This is how they like to do things on the left. This is what this is all about, my friends. They will... In the end, mark their victories by how many people lose their jobs over this, by how many people don't feel like they can have a conversation, a good faith and honest conversation about police, about criminal justice, about any issue of public importance that is being touched upon right now by all these different riots and and the protests and, and all the rest of it. In fact, there's a uh, the, the Free Speech Union, which is a social media account that I came across here, has pulled together a list of all of the people who have been either fired or suspended or just crushed by the mob. And it is it is something that you should you should keep in mind as we go forward, because, yes, I do think that these riots and all this this street Uh, the street protest stuff that's going on, it will fade, but it will come back. And the left is showing us what they're really all about right now. And we should listen to them so we understand. I don't mean listen to them as in they're right. Listen to them so we know how crazy they are. That's important. Here's a listing from the Free Speech Union of all the people 
who have been. And this is not a, an all-inclusive list, but this is just to give you a sense. Grant Napier was fired by his radio station and resigned as a Sacramento Kings TV play-by-play announcer last week because he was mobbed for tweeting, all lives matter. That's right. You can get fired for writing, all lives matter. Gordon Klein, a professor at UCLA, has been placed on leave after he refused to cancel a final exam following George Floyd's death. That's right. You better bend the knee, change your professional responsibilities, do whatever the mob demands, and then some. You know, this is, it does feel very Soviet. You know, in the Soviet Union, one of the, one of the things that would often come up for just your average everyday person who was living under that tyranny was you always had to be paying uh, not just your respects, but you, you had to be bowing constantly before Stalin and Lenin and the Communist Party in, in everyday speech and everything you did. And if you were merely insufficient in your praise, if you were insufficient in your praise, you could be subject to punishment to exile, to execution. I mean, whatever punishment they felt like giving you. In fact, it was often the case that when they would pull you, when the secret police would pull you off the street, in these, they would show up in these cars that Solzhenitsyn referred to as Black Marias, these uh, black sedans produced inside the Soviet Union. And when they would pull up and take you out of your home in the middle of the night, if you were willing, while after being you know, starved for a few days, kept in horrific conditions freezing cold cell, nowhere, often not able even to lie down. If you were willing to stand up for yourself, it became a a charge against you, counter-revolutionary attitude for making the job of the person going through the process. It's not really a case. The process of exiling you to freeze to death slowly in the uh, gulags. If you oppose this, you were making the job of a state employee harder, and that became its own charge. Kind of like what they're doing to General Flynn right now, isn't it? I didn't mean to jump into this at the moment, but I, I will for a, for a second here. They're, they're now saying that, that the setup of General Flynn, the coercion, the way that they played dirty and dishonest to destroy him, the ambush the government set up to destroy General Flynn, because he pleaded guilty, even if he was innocent, and even though they use pressure, which is now beyond doubt, he lied by pleading guilty. That's, that should be a charge against him. This is, this is Soviet logic. This is the logic of communists, of collectivists, of evil people with no moral compass. And that's what's happening in things like these free speech cases where someone who is merely not supportive enough. There's another anecdote, a well-known one from the Gulag Archipelago by Solzhenitsyn where everyone stood up to applaud at a at a, a, a meeting of the I don't remember if it was the uh, the Politburo or but everyone stood up to applaud Stalin and they were applauding and applauding and applauding. And the first person to sit down to stop applauding got sent to prison. Yeah, you got to show enough love. If you don't show enough love, that in itself is a problem. So that's where it is. Uh, Professor UCLA has been placed on leave after he refused to cancel a final exam following George Floyd's death. Stu Peters, a radio presenter in, uh, in England, has been suspended after he challenged the concept of white privilege in a debate with a caller to his radio show. That's right. If you challenge white privilege, 
uh, you could be just just for wanting to debate an amorphous concept that most people would recognize as BS if they really thought about it. But he was suspended for that. Martin Shipton, a, a reporter for the Western Mail, a lot of this is UK stuff, has been forced to step down as a Wales Book of the Year judge after he complained that the Black Lives Matter protests in Cardiff, in Wales, broke the Welsh government's social distancing rules. So if you point out that Black Lives Matter protests are breaking social distancing rules, that government employees were trying to ram down your throat and use force to, to make sure you comply until two weeks ago, you can get suspended for that. Pointing out reality is now a fireable offense. Pointing out the truth can end your career, can end your reputation, can ruin you. This is what the left embraces. This is what they use. This is who they are. And then there's even more. The op-ed editor of The New York Times resigned after being heavily criticized by left-wing co-workers for publishing an opinion piece by Senator Tom Cotton. Stan Wisnowski, the top editor of the Philadelphia Inquirer, has been forced to resign because of a headline on an article in the paper about a building destroyed in the riots. The headline read, Buildings Matter Too. Is that an is that an untrue statement? Why is he being fired for that? Oh, it's insensitive. So if you're insensitive to a political movement that has many people who are actively breaking the law and threatening their fellow Americans, many, many people, thousands of them, look at the looting, look at the rioting. If you have any, any lack of show of the proper respect, which isn't respect, it is submission. If you do not submit to this mob and agree and speak the way they tell you to speak and beg for their forgiveness, literally beg for their forgiveness, they are coming to destroy you. Does this really feel like America anymore? It's a question worth asking. Is, is, that, is that the American way? Is this what our First Amendment is supposed to do for our society? Does it really feel like a free country? When you can't say things that are objectively and demonstrably true without fear of consequence, including consequence from the government. Remember, the government is involved, too, in shutting down the lockdown protests and then leaving open the door, of course, for the Black Lives Matter protests. The government has taken an enormous state by state, an enormous position, politicized position about who has First Amendment rights and who doesn't? Grotesque constitutional violations. Will any of them be held to account? No, of course not. Uh, hundreds of poets are calling for the president of the U.S. Poetry Foundation to be fired because its statement last week saying it stands in solidarity with the black community and denounces injustice and systemic racism didn't go far enough. What did I tell you? This is this is how they did things in the Soviet Union. Oh, I'm sorry. You said Stalin is the greatest living leader. But what about the greatest leader of all time? That sounds like counter-revolutionary thinking to me. Ten years, they used to call the sentence a tenor. And they would just hand them out like candy to people, ruin their lives, let them just shrivel and slowly freeze to death and die. And be so, if they managed to live through that ten years in the gulag, be so beaten down 
and, and ruined as a person when they returned, that they would never be a problem again for the state by having free thought, and they would be an example to everybody else. Do anything we don't like or do something that we don't like enough. Ten years. Ten years. In fact, some people returned in the Soviet era um, under Stalin. They returned, and I mean a few, thousands and thousands of people that returned from their initial 10-year sentence, and Stalin just arbitrarily decided, it seems like we were too lenient. Send them back for another 10. Does that sound like, a, sound like an American lib to you? Because I think it does. I think it does. I think these people, are, are they're only constrained now by what works for them and what helps them achieve power. The usage of the power that they have, if they had enough, there is, no, there is no common ground for morality with these people. None. They will shut down your most basic rights, tell you to be locked in your home, deny you the ability to mourn loved ones at a funeral. But then when people all want to clap for, oh my gosh, the protests, and it's all about justice and screaming about Black Lives Matter and all this stuff. That's right. That the state will defend that the state is okay. Oh, and and forget about all the riots and the looting and the violence and the insanity and the rage and the anti-cop rhetoric that is going to result in dead police officers more than there already are in the last 10 days, which you don't even hear about them. You don't even hear about it. You don't hear about Officer Dorn very much. I'm glad to see that at least Fox News, some other places covered his funeral. Officer Dorn was a hero. Officer Dorn was a hero. Was George Floyd a hero? It seems that the left claims that he was a hero. That's not the same thing as having your rights violated and being a victim. Heroism and being a victim are not the same thing. Are you even allowed to say this? Are you allowed to think this without fear of consequence? This thread keeps going. It's amazing. Students at Cornell are demanding that chemistry professor David Collum be fired for tweeting that an incident in Buffalo, New York, in which a BLM protester was pushed over by a police officer and hurt his head, was not an example of police brutality. Can't even have an opinion about police brutality that contradicts the dominant narrative right now. I mean, really, Black Lives Matter has turned into a movement of do what we say or else you're racist. That, that is what the movement, that, that is at the very core. Do what we say. Give in to the demands of this movement or you're racist. That is always step one. That's the first that's the first position. And even with insane things like defund police, if you look at this and you have a question, it's OK. Well, maybe we'll alter that demand a little bit. But the fact that you didn't go along with it in the first place shows us that you're racist. So now how will you make this up to us? Give us even more than we had anticipated. The editor in chief of Bon Appetit, Adam Rappaport, he's uh, he's out of a job after he wrote a piece uh, that was genuflecting to Black Lives Matter, but was considered insufficiently pious by his staff. Oh, also, he wore an inappropriate Halloween costume 13 years ago. Uh, what else do we have here? I mean, there's so many of them skipping through them. D. Wynn was fired from MTV's The Challenge after posting Black People Die Every Blanking Day in response to Black Lives Matter protest. Um... Claudia Eller, editor-in-chief of Variety, has been forced to take administrative leave after, after snapping back when a person of color criticized her self-flagellating article about the lack of diversity at Variety for being insufficiently pious. Don't you see? You get in trouble now. It doesn't matter if you're on their side. They're so drunk with power. You get in trouble if you don't bow 
enough, fast enough, deep enough, grovel enough. They'll still make an example of you if you're on their side. They'll eat their own. Doesn't matter. Oh, this is another one. I didn't mention this one before. L.A. Galaxy player, uh, uh, Galaxy player Alexander Katai has been fired from his job because of posts his wife, Tia Katai, made about Black Lives Matter protesters on Instagram. So you now can be fired for what your spouse says on his or her own time about a political movement. You, you can be fired. Like I said, ins- insufficiently obedient, and you're done. Insufficiently willing to grovel and beg and plead and bend the damn knee. They will destroy you. Have we learned our lesson yet, sane Americans? Have we learned our lesson with this? It seems like we didn't learn it during the first Black Lives Matter riots, protests, all the other stuff going on. We didn't learn the lesson then. Have we learned it now? I wish I could answer that question in the affirmative, but I worry we are seeing a mass collision between leftist hysteria and conservative cowardice. That's what's happening. The Republican Party is cowering in fear when it should be standing tall and proud for what is right and what is true and what is virtuous, not groveling and hoping they get a pat on the head from the left as it is mobilized and drunk with power. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. One more thing about these uh, protest movements that are de- that are destroying statues. They, they pulled down a, a Christopher Columbus statue, which was uh, a statue made by someone involved in the creation of Grand Central, an Italian-American. This was a gift, uh, a gift. I believe this was taken down in Ohio, but it was a gift. uh, And it was supposed to be about Italian-American pride when Italians were a large immigrant group to this country. Because Christopher Columbus, while he did sail the ocean blue, as we know, in 1492 on behalf of the Spanish crown, they were the funders of this. But Columbus was Genoese. Right. He was uh, an Italian. So there's that. There's also a statue that has been defaced. And I don't know if they managed to pull it down. Although they certainly had a rope around its neck in the photo that I saw of Matthias Baldwin. You might say, well, why would they go after Matthias Baldwin? Oh, well, clearly he's a really he's a really bad guy. The left thinks because he was a specialist in the production, early production of machinery and particularly steam locomotives. Um, but was also a strong advocate of abolition. So now they're defacing statues of abolitionists in Philadelphia just because, well, there's a white dude that they've made a statue of. He must be bad. One thing you always have to remember, the leftist intellectuals are phonies without any common sense, and the masses that they pander to are morons. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, it's been an amazing thing to behold, and we're going to be starting our rallies. The first one we believe will be probably, we're just starting to call up, uh, will be in Oklahoma, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. A beautiful new venue, brand new, and they're looking forward to it. They've done a great job with COVID, as you know, in the state of Oklahoma. 
Uh, we're going to be coming into Florida, do a big one in Florida, a big one in Texas. Uh, they're all going to be big. We're going to Arizona. We're going to North Carolina at the appropriate time. The governor is a little backward there. He's a little bit behind. The rallies will begin soon, my friends. And oh, my, get ready for it. It was in part the Trump rallies that allowed him to defeat the all-out political machinery of the Democrat left that we saw with Hillary Clinton and the media just carrying everything they could for her constantly, uh, advocating in favor of the Democrat over the Republican. Uh, We know that Trump's ability to gather a crowd, to create that energy, to go speak to the people, was a, a large component of his victory that everyone said was impossible. And now it's starting again. Now, this isn't this isn't the the secret weapon. That means we don't have to be concerned about whatever else the Democrats are going to pull between now and then. You know that this is going to be a tight election. There's no way around that. Unfortunately, the Democrats have 49 percent of the American voting a voting population so brainwashed and so absurd in their beliefs and honestly, just so reliant on their on their overall ignorance that it doesn't matter that Joe Biden is a quasi-senile, deeply unimpressive, not up for this joke of a politician. Uh, They don't care. They're going to vote for him anyway because not Trump. But I I don't even want to look at the the political matchup right now so much as just to say that last week I, I tweeted out, and the one nice thing about Twitter for people like me is that it creates a record for people to see of positions that I took a week or two or a month ago so you can all go back and see for yourself. And I said, and uh, credit to Matt Walsh, who, who uh, also has said, and I've, I've agreed with him, uh, Matt Walsh over the Daily Wire. And, and there are others I know, too, but he just he and I had an exchange on this one that they will they will try to just pretend that this two week period of mass protests of the complete abandonment of COVID shaming over social distance, the abandonment of it. I mean, it just didn't happen at all. These utter frauds, these pathetic, intellectually cowardly frauds with no principles and no morals, they're going to switch around now. You cannot make this stuff up. They're going to switch around now and start to claim that sure enough, it's a risk that Trump is putting people uh putting people through by going to his rallies and it's reckless oh it's reckless get ready for this and and i I predicted this i mean because it is so obvious that this is what they'll do because they just don't care so you better prepare right now for the onslaught of the trump's rallies are literally the most dangerous thing on planet earth right now think pieces from the quote journalists at vox and huffpo and CNN.com and these other dumpster fires of ignorance and stupidity out there. And they're not really concerned about COVID. They just are worried that if Trump takes his message directly to the people, Biden in the basement, not going to get it done, not going to be sufficient for their plans to take back power. That's what they want. That's what they plan to do. That's what's going to be said here. Cory Booker, former Presidential candidate himself, Cory Booker, has said that this is very, very risky behavior here. Play 15. 
Well, it, it, this president seems to be rushing to rallies, and I'm praying for him. You know, I don't want him to be my president, but I'm, uh, you know, I was taught to pray for those who are your adversaries or your enemies or what have you. I'm praying for him because he's putting himself and a lot of people at risk. And so um, if you're going to rallies where there's a lot of shouting and yelling and if he's modeling not wearing a mask, these are dangerous environments. We have to be thoughtful about them and follow the dictates of, of professionals who, who, who understand this virus from a medical perspective. So I just want to say that there's a lot of folks who are telling us to do things. You know, I mean, this is a president who has seems to um, uh, seems to uh, market uh, a extreme, reckless uh, conspiracy theories and more that have posed dangers to people from injecting Clorox, sticking flashlights in places. Uh, um, I mean, he just just it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Does does uh, Cory Booker think that none of us have access to the Internet? So we, we can't go and see that he had no such comments to make about the protests that are day in and day out, thousands and thousands and thousands of people all across the country. No social distancing. Does, does he think? Does he think that we can't see that? Oh, no, he doesn't care. Because they'll just move past it. The left doesn't care. They'll just move on to the next thing. They get to determine the focus of the news cycle, which is even more powerful a propaganda tool. What you cover and don't cover is an even more important decision than how you cover it in most news stories. Because there's just going to be the basic facts that you have to stay within once you've decided to cover something. But what you cover and what you don't, that's what really tells people who you are and what you believe. This is why, you know, the, the, the super fraud journalists out there like the Coopers and the Tappers and the New York Times and the Washington Post front pages, I mean, uh, and, and the so-called TV journos out there, what they focus on night in and night out. That's what they care about. That's who they are. More so even than the tone they take, which always betrays the truth, which is that they are leftist activists operating under a fraudulent pretense that they're journalists, mostly so they don't have to actually defend their ideas. They pretend, oh, I'm just a journalist, man. I'm just I'm just giving you the facts. These are the worst people in the news media. But nonetheless, they continue to get continue to get accolades, go on the late night, quote, comedy shows. They're not comedy shows. They're political commentary shows with some jokes. And they're not even funny. Uh, but I digress. So they're going to say this. They're going to they're going to claim that there's uh, that, that, that Trump is putting people at risk in unnecessary ways. And, and there's also just going to be a, a return of the covid hysteria. They're going to be pushing this in late June and early July when we know that because of the cyclical nature of upper respiratory infections in general, cases are going to be going way down, except for where they increase the testing. And, you know, they're just going to there's going to be an ideological investment, an ideological investment in pushing as much as possible covid hysteria while Trump is doing these rallies because it depresses uh, the turnout to the rallies, or at least it might. That's their hope. And also it just turns into a point of opposition. You know, Biden's going to be doing his, you know, black mask, dark sunglasses, walking around, you know, socially distanced, talking from the bunker to people. And Trump is going to be out there actually holding rallies and they're going to have to make it seem like Biden's the one being presidential. How do they do that? By pretending that he's he's being responsible. Remember, they have already established their hypocrisy on this, so they won't care. They'll just 
they'll just tell people um, they'll just tell people what they what on their side on the left, the Democrats. Remember, these are all Democrats, left and Democrat simultaneous uh, or rather same thing. Uh, they're going to say this stuff and it doesn't matter that it's a, a demonstrable lie and that they are frauds. That will not matter in the least. So what else is the administration doing that I think is is worthwhile? You know, a much of the movement right now, the Black Lives Matter movement, the reason it is called that is so that you are immediately it, it makes a statement that is obvious but that has as the subtext, when I say obvious, obvious that all people agree. There is no decent human being on planet Earth who does not think that black lives matter. There's no, that, that is, it is a test. It, it is an obvious and, and clear statement of fact. And if someone doesn't agree with that, well, then they're a, a deranged and, demoral, uh, and immoral human being. But they start with that because the implication is that anybody who's part of the opposition to the rest of the enormous and varied political movement behind the name is put on defense. So it is, it's very similar to the, to the game that is played with climate change. Do you believe in climate change? Yeah, but that doesn't, I mean, I believe in climate change, of course. I just don't think it's a problem, and I know that we can't control it, and I know that the people that are telling us that there's going to be catastrophe have been wrong over and over again. But yeah, there's climate change, sure. But it's just, agree with us on point one, And then you have to agree. We're going to assume you agree on points two through 150. That's what they do. And and, and another example, another version of this is when you you are supposed to say that there is systemic racism in the United States. You're supposed to concede on this point. If you don't admit this from the outset, you you are admitting a kind of moral deficiency. That's the way this is all set up. But notice they never give you what is the evidence for systemic racism? Where is their system? Their systemic racism in law enforcement. Well, that's different than saying there are people who are racist in law enforcement, because there are people who are racist who work for insurance companies. There are people who are racist who are selling hot dogs on the corner. There are people who are racist of all different professions. So the establishment of some people, some individuals in a profession who have racist attitudes or that's that's not the same thing as saying the system is racist. Here's a racist system for you. Harvard University discriminates against Asian-American applicants. Asian people in the application process to Harvard University are graded down and considered less attractive applicants because of Harvard's diversity obsession, which is another way of saying Harvard is obsessed with non uh, non white, non Asian applicants getting additional consideration and a leg up on the competition such as it is. But that is that is a systemic racism. The system is that there will be discrimination against Asians. In fact, if we want to have this conversation, affirmative action is systemic because it is the system dictating that there will be discrimination. It is it is it is affirmatively set up that way. So why do we all sit around? And and I understand this. There's all this pressure. Agree with us that there's systemic racism. No, I'll agree. There's racism for sure. Of course. There's also racism against people of all different races, which gets left out of this. Animosity against a person because of their skin color is racism and is immoral. It does not matter 
who is the person, uh, what the skin color of the person who holds the animosity is and what the skin color of the person who is the recipient of that racist animosity may be. Does not matter. The left, the left disagrees with that, of course. They say it's all about power dynamics. And, well, they haven't spent much time in the rest of the world where even people of the same race, but of different, of different shades within a certain race, shades of skin color, there's racism that exists there. So how does that fit into the, the power structure and the patriarchy and all this other stuff? Racism is possible against any race from any race. But they call it systemic, and we're all supposed to just nod our heads in assent. Why don't I get to ask for the proof of racism within the system? As in the system itself is, is pumping out racist outcomes, and it is doing so on purpose. Larry Kudlow, God bless him. He's a very, he's a, he, look, he's a smart guy. He's been around the block a long time. And I think he just, he's just a guy. He just doesn't want to bend the knee, man. He's had enough. He, doesn't, he, he, he's, he knows what life's really about. That guy's been through. He's been to hell and back, you know, and he's at a point in his life where he's just going to say what's true. So I'll tell you in a sec what he actually said when he was confronted with this question by a reporter. A journo being so brave. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. refused to bend the knee to the journo. Good for him. Notice the question gets repeated because the journalist is so taken. Wait, are you really saying that there's no systemic racism in the United States? That's what he's saying, yeah. Wait, hold, hold on, hold on a second, sir. Hold on a second. Are you really saying that there's no systemic racism in the United States? Oh, my gosh. And Larry Kudlow's like, yeah. Yes. Do you need me to keep? Yes, that is what that is what I am saying. And and if you look at, you know, and really, I suppose it defines how you if you, if you want to define a system as anything going on anywhere in any realm. Well, then, yeah, because there is racism, you could always say, you know, is the American system racist? I mean, there's racism that exists in America. So is America responsible? Is, the, is it, what is the American system? You have to you get into these these semantics back and forth uh, on on what they're really even talking about. But if you're discussing law enforcement, discrimination by skin color is illegal for any law enforcement purpose. There's you know, that you cannot. Uh, there's no racial profiling. There's all kinds of sensitivity training that's in place. There, there is nowhere in the law that makes it 
that makes it acceptable to be discriminatory, discriminatory or, or racist. And w- w- what is exactly the systemic racism they're talking about? I mean, here, here, here's a way of thinking about this. A, a strong majority, a strong majority of insider trading cases are of white men in America. Are insider trading laws racist? No. Right. It's just this is just, you know, there there there's a law that is race neutral and the people that are violating that law just happen to fall into a certain demographic. Uh, here, here's another another way of looking at, at systemic racism, what the systemic racism claim um, men as opposed to women uh, commit 90 plus percent of sexual assaults is the our laws against sexual assault systemically biased no right i mean there's a law you can't do the following things and people who break that law are punished irrespective of gender so you know if we're going to talk about systemic racism it has to be more than just a slogan where is the systemic because here's the thing if they can show me where the systemic racism actually exists I want it gone, too. I think that's terrible. But what are we talking about? No, it's all agree that there's systemic racism. Agree with all of our other policy proposals, because if you don't, then you're saying there's not systemic racism. And then then you're a bad person. This is just about getting people to bend the knee. God bless Larry Kudlow for saying, "Nah, I'm not going to play that game today. Not going to play that game today. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. We can't shut down the economy again. I, I think we've learned that if you shut down the economy, you're going to create more damage, and, and not just economic damage, but there are, there are other areas, and we've talked about this, of medical problems and everything else that get put on hold. I think it was very prudent what the president did, but I think we've learned a lot. And I also would just say the fact that Congress, the House, the Senate responded with the administration in an unprecedented way to put $3 trillion in the economy. I heard you had Ron Johnson on this morning, and and, and he said this. We discussed this last night, actually. There's only about $1.6 trillion of that money actually in the economy. So, you know, over the next month, you're going to see over another trillion dollars pumped into the economy. That's going to have a big impact. We have the Fed program. We have Main Street, which is going to be now up and running. And we're prepared to go back to Congress for more money to support the American worker. So we're going to get everybody back to work. That's the, that's my number one job, working with the president, and we're going to do that. It's the right move. Mnuchin has established a whole bunch of things here that we, we, we should take note of. One, and the president told me in the Oval Office, looked me right in the eye, said there will not be a second shutdown. And then he went out and told the whole country that later on. I should have probably tweeted it out as soon as he said it to me. But, you know, it was really about me being able to spend some time with the president and give him my thoughts and, you know, just get to know the man better. Uh, I wasn't thinking of it like a formal interview and it wasn't a formal interview. That's why he called in the show a week later, but I got him, I I got him to admit to, to, I shouldn't say admit to, to agree that there shouldn't be a second shutdown, no matter what happens with COVID-19 and a possible resurgence. And here's what you're going to see. The, the left 
if the economy starts getting going, they have such an enormous incentive to do everything they can if they can't get another shutdown. If they get another shutdown, Trump loses the election. So that's that's how big this is for them. And think about what they've been willing to say, what the Democrats and the media have been willing to say for the last, oh, four years or so. Trump is a fascist. Trump is Hitler. Trump's destroying the country. He's a clear and present danger. He's going to go to war with North Korea. I mean, they'll say anything that they feel like saying as long as it is damaging to this president. Doesn't matter how reckless, doesn't matter how unsubstantiated it may be. Whatever they have to say, they have said. And I think a lot of people who were just using that as a propaganda weapon against the president were now seeing really believe all that crazy stuff. So if you thought that there was a fascist who was a threat to democracy in the White House, and also maybe you're just being a little overly cautious, don't you, wouldn't you then have a wide open excuse to start the COVID fear mongering all over again? That's what they're going to do. Forget about all the data. Forget. Oh, today I'm saying, oh, there are more states that are having, you know, spikes in cases. Cases do not mean anything. Cases have to do with the number of people being tested. All the data you can look at shows you this. A lot more tests going on, more cases. What matters is hospitalizations and deaths. That's how you look at how how much an area is struggling with COVID-19. And of the 50 states, about 40 of them are way down. And most of them are way, way, way down. I mean, here in New York, we, we have, you know, we're, we're, we're counting hospitalizations in the hundreds. So... There may be a bit of a, a bit of an uptick. I think it's unlikely. But even if there is an uptick, we can handle this. We're not going to shut down the economy. And I am angry every day that I've had so many rights stripped away from me by Democrat leftists and their little quizzling allies in the media. I'm angry. I'm actually mad about this. And that's why I'm trying to spread the word to as many people as I can across the country. Do not allow your uh, you, you know, whether it's your local news broadcaster, whether it's national media with the lunatics at CNN or your politicians to pull this thing again. We've already seen how politicized it is. We already understand that they use this as a weapon against Trump. And if they can shut the economy down again, even for a few weeks, even if it's another 15 days to stop the second wave. They know that that will send the markets tanking, that will spike unemployment, it'll make everybody freak out, and then they'll just present us with Joe Biden, as if Joe Biden is going to be the guy that makes everything all better. You know, here's, here's Wolf Blitzer, whose job it is to be on TV, you know, looking like a news anchor who is perpetually confused. Here's what he says about what, what we should be expecting. Uh, Mark, play clip two. You think about where we are today, talking about another 100,000 deaths by September. We heard from the governor of Mississippi today who said, while he wants COVID to be over, the data uh, says that it's not. That being said, we're seeing more and more reopenings. Los Angeles County just announcing today that music, film, and TV production can resume on Friday, obviously with restrictions and safety protocols, Wolf. But again, as more things reopen, there are increasing warnings from experts. So, so, uh, so disturbing. So, so disturbing. The experts. Oh, now they're going to start trotting out the experts again. Where have the experts been for the last two weeks during the massive protests and the, and the complete mockery of social distancing that has occurred? Uh, social distancing. Where have they been? 
I, I, I'm curious. I, I really would like to know. Oh, wait, Dr. Fauci is back. He's like, hey, I know I've been on vacation. I've been gone. Spend some time at the golf course. You know, social distance, of course, with a mask all the time. I shower with a mask. I sleep with a mask. It's all part of the mitigation. You got to mitigate. You got to make sure, you know, someone coughs. There's like a little, little, little bit of spit, you know, spit in the air. And that air gets in your nose. And from the nose, it gets in your lungs. That's how this all goes, right? That's, that's what's happening here. Here, Dr. Fauci wants, you know, he is concerned about the protests. Play clip eight. Yes, I mean, the most important thing, unfortunately, the report of the National Guardsmen being infected is certainly disturbing, but is not surprising. Uh, the issue of physical separation is important. Masks can help, but it's masks plus physical separation. And when you get congregations like we saw with the demonstrations, as we have said, myself and other health officials, that's taking a risk. And unfortunately, what we're seeing now is just an example of the kinds of things we were concerned about. So I wouldn't be surprised that members of the congregation that were there demonstrating could also be infected. And many of them would then go back to where they were because not everyone was demonstrating in the city where they live. They've come from the outside. So it's the kind of things that we were concerned about. And unfortunately, we're seeing it come true right now. Concerned and seeing it come true right now. Uh, Don't you think they could have been quite a bit more vocal about this? I also think that outdoor spread is so minimal that we're not going to see a spike related to this. But it doesn't really matter to them, does it? They'll find a way to tear it just in just two weeks. It's coming back in just two weeks. The market investment, the direction of companies, a lot of this stuff is determined by confidence. So by undermining the confidence that the American people can have in their lives going back to some degree of normal, the Democrats can achieve their goal of making sure that people do not do not think that things are, are going to get better soon. You know, and, and they hate that there has been a couple of weeks here while the protests were raging. We had a week or two where the stock market was doing very well. The unemployment numbers were better than expected. That's not the same thing as good but improving relative to what expectations were. And then the president's out there trying to tell everybody, look, if you just stay the course here, do what what we have been doing, things are going to go back to prosperous, great, an economy that's humming humming along better. He says better than ever before. Play clip 13. I think that the economy will be next year will be maybe the best it's ever been. You can already see it with the stock market, how it's been going up, because you have a lot of smart people that are betting on exactly what I'm saying. The stock market is almost as high as it was prior to the plague floating in from China. It was a plague that floated in from China. Now they're learning that it may have been much earlier, which bears out exactly what I've been saying. You saw that word yesterday that it may have come in a lot sooner than We were told. And they're going to blame all this on the president, even as we find out that COVID-19 was around long before they even knew what it was, that there that this was circulating the population in China and here in the U.S. months before we we have been told uh, as of, you know, last month. And I think we're going to find out that this this has been spreading much further and much faster than anybody anticipated until very recently. 
Uh, and, and so that's going to be a, there's going to be a huge fight over this, because if they can, again, convince people, they can terrify people into the shutdown situation once more. Trump will lose. Uh, that's my prediction. If, if we do another shutdown, Trump is done. And what they're going to offer up on the other side is, well, it's just this. It's, it's Joe Biden, who, as we know, is okay. is really really on the ball, really knows what he's doing. Here's, a, here's another moment of Joe Biden explaining how he would tackle things and show us the leadership that we need. Uh, you know, uh, rapidly rising uh, um, uh, in with, uh, with uh, I don't know, uh, his, his just inability to focus on any federal responsibility. In- uh, uh. Rapidly rising. Uh, I just. Uh, yeah. yeah. Gurgling with Gurgan's got a partner now. His name is Joe Biden. They're both doing the same thing. They, they both just kind of mutter. That's right. Put Joe Biden in charge, folks. Going to make everything better. Going to make all the problems go away. It's all you have to do. This is what the, the so-called smart people in our media are telling you. They make this claim. They feel no shame. Sorry that that rhymed, but I'm out of time. Uh, we've got more coming up in a sec. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. What is the plan up until November to make sure that people can vote, to make sure that everyone, whether it's Republican or Democrat, black or white, has the opportunity to vote without being in a line that's six hours long? It's my greatest concern, my single greatest concern. This president's going to try to steal this election. This is a guy who said that all mail-in ballots are fraudulent, direct voting by mail, while he sits behind the desk in the Oval Office and writes his mail-in ballot to vote in the primary. This is a guy you have 23, I believe, in his states have passed over, over uh, 82 pieces of legislation, making it harder for people to vote going to steal the election. They're already saying it. They didn't even wait until we got that close to the election. Notice the pattern. 2000, Bush v. Gore. Bush stole the election. No, he didn't. 2016, Trump v. Clinton. Clinton uh, Trump stole the election. No, he didn't. But, but they keep doing it. A Republican wins. Got to be stolen. Got to be stolen. There, there has, they, they cheated. They cheated. No, it's not true, but they don't really care very much about the truth, do they? Oh, and one more Bidenism, since we're getting into this now. He's also said because he he walked back from his from from where the left was, which is defund police. By that, they don't mean actually defund police. They just mean take funds away from police. Oh, okay. I'm glad they clarified. Biden then said, look, I don't support defunding the police. And now he's saying, well, I mean, you know, maybe I'll have to defund some police departments if they don't if they don't do what I say, uh, play clip 12. I don't believe peace should be defunded, but I think the conditions should be placed upon them where departments are having to take significant reforms relating to that. We should set up a national use of force standard. If they don't sign onto it, then in fact, they don't get any of the federal money. So that's defunding, is it not? Oh, I meant to, to get to this. Uh, and I, I don't want to I don't want to lose this uh, this train of thought. The 
Justice Department, this is amazing. The Justice Department dropped charges against General, uh, dropped the case against General Flynn. And John Gleason has been brought in by Judge Sullivan, the federal judge overseeing this case, for an amicus brief uh, to just, this whole thing is bizarre, and no one is being honest who knows the law is saying anything other than that. But Flynn's lawyers and the Justice Department, according to the New York Times, have sought to bypass Gleason, the federal judge, who appointed him an appeals panel will hear arguments on Friday about whether to dismiss the case without allowing Judge Sullivan to conduct his review of the department's request to withdraw the charge against Mr. Flynn. Mr. Gleason's brief amounted to a step by step dissection of the factual claims. Um, no, this is all I mean, this is all garbage. It's crap. I, I can't read all this to you, but they're just lying about all this. The best thing, though, is that he also said that Flynn should not be held in criminal contempt of court for lying under oath when he gave conflicting statements about his actions to Judge Sullivan, a possibility that the judge had raised when appointing Mr. Gleason last month. They are, this guy actually is saying that even though the, even though the court forced a guilty plea by lying and cheating in the case, that's what they did. They cheated Flynn out of his rights. They cheated Flynn by disbanding and, and discarding ethics that they're supposed to uphold at the Department of Justice and as federal prosecutors. They, they disbanded all of that. They, they disregarded it. And now because Flynn gave a guilty plea, that, because he agreed that he was guilty, is perjury. But, but we're not going to charge him for that. This is a joke, folks. This is ridiculous. If someone holds a gun to my head and says, Buck, admit that you killed Abraham Lincoln, and I'm under oath, and I say, hey, I killed Abraham Lincoln, Am I committing perjury? I've got a gun to my head. Oh, no, you mean the, the, the libs are such frauds. They say that written, uh, that, that written confession should be thrown out, that videotape. You know what videotape confessions of their guilt? The Central Park Five. Videotape saying that they uh, attacked and, and were part of a rape of a woman in Central Park. Very famous case from long, long ago. Oh, but they were coerced. Oh, but they, even though they had an adult relative present, even though they knew things that they could not have known unless they were there, the, the videotaped confession doesn't count. But now we're told that pleading guilty while the government's saying, do this or we're going to destroy your son, and we're lying about the evidence we have against you, and we're withholding in violation of Brady exculpatory evidence, that is an additional crime. There is no justice here, folks. This is not about justice, which is about what is right and fair and true and good. Nope. It's about get Flynn. He's tied to Trump. We are psycho libs. This is what we need. We need Flynn to go down for this. For what? Flynn bad. Orange man bad. Stupid, childish fools. That is what you have at the top of the Democratic Party and throughout the media and even at the DOJ and even people like this guy Gleason reviewing this case absurd injustice done to general flynn thanks for listening to the bus sex and show podcast remember to subscribe on apple podcast the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts all right team we got our friend michael knowles back in the house he is the host of the michael knowles show he also does a show with ted cruz called verdict which you can listen to wherever you listen to podcasts and he is of course with the Daily Wire. Mr. Knowles, good of you to make the time. 
Buck, man, good to be with you. Thanks for having me. So I was in D.C. a few weeks ago, and I was shocked to see that it was even more boarded up than New York and even more shut down, uh, which given how many yeah. more cases we had here of COVID, I, I was. But then it makes sense because D.C. is about 95 percent Democrat, far left. Uh, you know, there are a bunch of lockdown loons down there. So what was it like? You're there this week. What are you seeing? Well, the issue wasn't so much the COVID, because I don't know if you found this out, but it turns out uh, nationwide riots are the cure to coronavirus. I expected it to be either hydroxychloroquine or a vaccine, but it turns out riots are actually the cure. So no one's worried about the, the lockdown anymore. But the issue was, were the riots themselves. When I, when I got in, we, we flew in a few days ago because we were, we were filming some episodes of Verdict with Senator Cruz. And so we're staying not too far from the White House. I, we couldn't get to our hotel. We, the National Guard stopped us. They said, no cars in the area. You got to get out and you know walk however many blocks to your hotel. I thought, okay, this is pretty weird. Then you're walking around the area. Everything's boarded up. And you can see a lot of things are tagged with graffiti, BLM. And initially, you think it's the protesters or the rioters who are doing that. And you realize it's actually the shop owners, because a lot of it will say, we support BLM, you know, minority owned business, but basically saying, please don't loot us, you know, go on and loot someone else. We saw a lot of the signs of the uh, peaceful rioters. Some of them said, you know, kill pigs and the anti-police stuff. So it was, it was very odd. It looks like it's winding down now, but you kind of wish that there had been a stronger response before the whole city went up in flames. How do you think Republicans, I mean, you were just hanging out with a bunch of Republican senators down there. I saw the president a few weeks ago in D.C., and that was so that was before I, I saw him before the riots. COVID was still, you know, the main thing going on when I was down there. And now, as you point out, it has become these yep. these riots. How do you think Republicans are doing in the midst of all this? Because it does not seem like there's a tremendous amount of of effective action being taken. No, I, I think there are two problems. There's a messaging problem, and then there's a practical problem. So the practical problem is the tougher one, which is what the president is tweeting. Most of the tweets are good, right? A lot of, a lot of conservatives say, that, okay, we're going to hold investigations. We're going to give a speech about this thing. But they're not following that up with concrete action. The reason for this is that the left controls virtually all of the institutions that could take concrete action. There's a kind of irony, which is the left always talks to us about institutional racism. And even if that were still a major problem, let's say that it were, I look around and it occurs to me that the left controls all of the major institutions in the United States. They control the media, they control higher education and lower education for that matter. They control Hollywood, they control big tech, they control administrative government. They control everything. So if there is institutional racism, whose fault would that be? That would be the fault of the left. And the lack of our institutional control, the lack of conservatives' ability to actually exercise power creates this problem, which is we can talk until we're blue in the face, but we can't follow that up with very much action. That's the one problem. Then the second problem is on the messaging, which is I think some conservatives are buying into this lie that BLM is about black lives mattering instead of what it's really about, which is a radical leftist Marxist agenda. I'm not using that phrase hyperbolically. I mean, on the BLM Who Are We website, it says that part of the mission is to destroy the, quote, Western prescribed nuclear family. That ain't about Black Lives Matter. That's about a radical leftist agenda. And so some conservatives are buying into this a little bit, and they're going a little squishy. I've even noticed some conservatives are attacking Joe Biden 
for being too tough on crime in the 1990s. Guys, look around. Cities are on fire. Right now, the police are actually very popular in the United States. Uh, a winning message here would, to, would be to say, we are the ones who are tough on crime. We are going to restore order. And, and yet, if we're going to try to give that message over to Joe Biden, who frankly these days is not tough on crime, that to me seems like a counterproductive messaging strategy. It also seems like, and we're, we're speaking to Michael Knowles of the Daily Wire here, folks, and it also seems to me as though even in states that are red, because all the cities are blue and because all major cities have their own police forces that, you know, you get, for example, a state like Texas, uh, what goes on in Austin is going to be the under the purview of the Austin Police Department. And, yeah, there's there's you know, Texas Rangers and there's the equivalent of the Texas State Police uh, but they're not the ones that are going to be handling the street crime and the things they could be called in. And so even in places where you'd think, well, it's a red state, people aren't completely insane there, they believe in law and order. No, in the cities, pretty much everywhere, it's actually let these guys run wild and do whatever they want. Right. The cities are blue and they're getting more radical, by the way. I mean, we've all seen in Seattle now Antifa. These. Oh, oh I've been I've been telling we, we started this. We started the show on this. Well, yeah, Seattle. Let's go. Yeah, but, I mean, you know, P- Portland is next, by the way. But, you know, why do you think no one seems right. to care very much about this? And the, the thing that's so the thing that's so ironic is you, you might expect this from these kind of left wing kooky cities. But the irony of it, of course, is they, they campaign against borders, they campaign against the police. Then the minute they get control of one of these regions, they set up borders and they set up their own police, which is really roving gangs of people. You know, the lesson here for us, I think, is that there will be order. There will be control. They say that in politics, nature abhors a vacuum. So if someone is going to lose power, someone else is going to come in and take that power. And these guys, these thugs are are radicals and they will exercise power in a far less just way than the the powers that we already have i, I was reminded of, by this image in virginia maybe you saw it of a rioter you know all these rioters are pulling down a statue they put a rope around the neck they pull the statue down and then very sadly the statue crushes one of the rioters and i don't i hope the person's okay i don't know sad story all around but there's a real symbol here there's a real lesson which is that when you pull down your own tradition, when you pull down your own institutions, when you pull down your own culture, you think that you're setting yourself free. Actually, very likely, you're just going to get squished. It's hard to, to really put yourself in, in, the, in the shoes of someone who thinks that pulling down a statue of Christopher Columbus somewhere in America is really doing anything other than just self-gratification on social media for pseudo-revolutionaries and, and, and wannabe radicals. But this is widespread. I mean, I, I see among the journo class, and they just, they clap for all this. Because, look, I, it's hard to tell who the true believers are in the mainstream media and who's just terrified of losing their job. Because, as we all know, saying very, not just saying things that are reasonable, saying things that are factually correct can get you fired right now. That's the environment that we're currently in. Adhering to the most basic principles of the profession, as we saw with the New York Times op-ed page, having an opposing point of view on the opposite editorial page, which was supposed to be you know, something that everyone uh, you know, was, was adhering to in that profession. It's really just tough to know who... Who the true believers are, Michael, and who just doesn't want to be a part of the purge? Right. And this issue of Columbus, I think, is actually the way that we can see this most clearly. Because when when they're pulling down statues of Columbus, it shows you that this is not about George Floyd. This is not about Black Lives Mattering. This is not about Minneapolis. I mean, I don't I'm I'm a little bit of a history buff. 
but I, I don't remember Christopher Columbus sailing with the Nina, the Pinta, and the Santa Maria over to Lake Minnetonka in Minnesota. That, that didn't happen, okay? Why are they going after Christopher Columbus? They're going after Christopher Columbus, not because of any particular crime he committed. And I, you know, I've given a few speeches on this topic. The things that people accuse Columbus of, he simply didn't do, by, most of the time at least. He's not a perfect man, but most of the things they accuse him of, he didn't do. And the reason they go after him is because he's a symbol, the symbol perhaps, of Western civilization. He's this man of relatively low birth. He's transnational. He, he brought himself up. He was devoutly Catholic. He was so intrepid, he sailed all over the world. He was determined. He wouldn't take no for an answer from Portugal, from Spain. He sailed across the globe with no tools whatsoever. He used dead reckoning and his own guts, basically. And he established, in many ways, the modern world. And, and the left hates this. They hate this symbol of the West. And so what we're talking about is not tearing down one police precinct or one policy or another. It's about tearing down an entire civilization. And what's going to replace it? Unfortunately, I think those thugs in Seattle are showing us and it doesn't look good. Yeah, I want to know who is supposed to who, who are we supposed to have new statues of then? You know, to destroy, to tear down, to criticize is so easy. And especially in a mob mentality, you're, they're just looking for targets to, to gratify that initial urge to be the ones taking action. Uh, but who, who are we supposed to look back on? Because I've got to say, uh, now that there's all this uh, push for renaming army bases that have been named after Confederate generals, there's I, I just I can't imagine that this isn't going to very quickly, if this continues, turn into the founding fathers were predominantly uh, slave owners. And so there has to be a repudiation of the American founding itself. I, I don't know how we avoid the left taking it to that place, given what we're already seeing, not only with Columbus statues, I mentioned before on the show, they were defacing and trying to destroy Matthias Baldwin, who was an abolitionist 30 years before slavery was actually outlawed in the United States. Yeah, it's not about a particular issue. It doesn't matter how good a person was, because they're judging all of these historical figures uh, if they have any flaw, any imperfection, or anything that they've done that by our modern lights we, we don't particularly agree with. So frankly, even if they put a statue up of Karl Marx or Vladimir Lenin, they would ultimately tear that down too. And what it gets to is a religious misunderstanding. I think what we have here is more evidence of that Bob Dylan line, right? Everybody's got to serve somebody. Even if you think you're not religious, you do have religious longings. They're going to express themselves in a certain way. So you, you've seen this on the left in environmentalism. In environmentalism, they have sin in pollution. They have the sale of indulgences through carbon tax credit, right? They have atonement through recycling, all this kind of stuff. And you see it in the racial politics as well. White privilege is a stand-in for original sin, a recognition that we're imperfect. And so they, they can only translate that into their modern politics. They've got liturgies. I mean, this whole kneeling thing and asking for forgiveness and repeating these mantras, all these kooky videos we've seen the last week, it expresses a religious longing. You even hear people say that the original sin of America is slavery. And that's not true. It's, it, slavery is a bad, bad thing. But the original sin of America is original sin. And until we realize that, I think we're going to have a politics more and more based on pride, more and more based on anger and resentment, rather than a politics based on some humility, some awe, some grace, some coming together. And, you know, you tear down the old government in favor of this utopia. It turns out the new government is far worse. I think we're seeing that religiously, too. They've torn down an old religion. They've replaced it with the religion of leftism. I think the new religion is, frankly, a lot worse than the old one. Michael Knowles, The Daily Wire, everybody. Michael, before we let you go, I just got to know something. 
Are you single-handedly yeah. trying to bring back Don Johnson's style in the fantastic <laughs> show Miami Vice? Because I feel like every time I see you, T-shirt and blazer, man, it's you and Bongino, and I love Bongino, but he's down in Florida, so the Miami Vice connection is very clear. Also, he's former law enforcement. I mean, if you're going to do this, I feel like if you're going to go T-shirt with blazer, you know, you got to go with some pastels, my man. If you're going to do the proper homage I, to I Tubbs know. and Crockett. That's going to be the next step. I just think because, you know, I'm mostly a child of the 90s. I've heard of all this great era in the 1980s. Reagan was president. The economy was booming. So I really I want to bring the 80s back. I think that's a, a way to make America great, great again. And Miami Vice is uh, definitely the style of that period. There we go, everybody. He's a fashion fashion icon as well. Michael Knowles, thanks so much, man. <laughs> thanks, Buck. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. If you were trying to come up with a parody video, if you were trying to come up with a way to mock Hollywood celebrities in this moment, you could not do better than this this star-studded cast in this montage that I'm about to play for you of of just the the the, the, the premise here is that they are taking responsibility. They're taking responsibility for all the terrible things that are happening on the streets. Uh, they're out of their minds. They're not taking responsibility. And it's not some brave stance to be a Hollywood lib who's saying, oh, yes, I stand in absolute solidarity with Black Lives Matter. And then they just say that this stuff about how black men are being killed on the streets every day by the cops. This is just not true. I, we're not going to concede on this, not going to bend the knee on this. It is incredibly rare how infrequent uh, it is that an unarmed black man is killed by law enforcement in this country. And more unarmed white people are killed by cops every year if we're going to be having this conversation. About twice as many. Okay? So, why? You don't know any of their names. You don't know any of the unarmed white guys that are killed by cops. But we're supposed to be, you know, bowing and begging forgiveness because of this other narrative that's out. Oh, my gosh. Oh, but the Hollywood celebrities, they're they're all about it. So here here is we're going to we're going to play some of this for this is amazing. Here that here they are. They take responsibility. I take responsibility. That's that's the, the whole campaign they're running here. I take responsibility. I take responsibility. I take responsibility. I take responsibility for every unchecked moment, for every time it was easier to ignore than to call it out for what it was. Every not-so-funny joke. Every unfair stereotype. Every blatant injustice, no matter how big or small. Every time I remained silent. Every time I explained away police brutality. Or turned a blind eye. I take responsibility. Black people are being slaughtered in the streets, killed in their own homes. These are our brothers and sisters, our friends. Okay, hold on a second. Um, is she talking about black people who are being killed by other people? Predominantly other black people in America. Because then, then that's true. I mean, the violence in Chicago, the violence in the inner cities across the country, they're very troubling. But no, no, this movement's about police violence. So what she's saying is not true. Black people are not being slaughtered in the streets by cops on a regular basis. This is not true. It's not systematic. It's not regular. It's not true. 
So you're, you're already at this false premise. And then beyond this, I take responsibility for every time I've, uh, I haven't spoken up or all this stuff. No, they don't. They haven't taken response. They're not going to, they're not going to lose a job. They're not going to step down. They're, they're, they're just pretending. This is a virtue signaling extravaganza. And there you had Julianne Moore. You had the little kind of tiny, tiny dude from uh, uh, what's that show called? Breaking Bad. You know, the little one who wears the like the 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 beanie baby. Jesse hat. Pinkman. Yeah, that guy. Aaron Paul. Uh, you got the girl from um, Coyote Ugly as if I don't think she's been in anything really since then. Whatever her name is. Uh, you know, yeah, all these these like celebrities who are either kind of, you know, losing a step or, or, or need a little bit of a higher profile now. Our family, we are done watching them die. We are no longer bystanders. We will not be idle. Enough is enough. I will no longer allow an unchecked moment. I will no longer allow racist, hurtful words, jokes, stereotypes, no matter how big or small, to be uttered in my presence. You see, I've never allowed any of that. So I don't understand that. Are, are we all supposed to make these declarations of things that we already do? I don't know how people make racist jokes around me and they would know that I would never find it funny. And I don't, I'm not even really sure what an unchecked moment is supposed to be. But OK, let's hear what, what they have to say after this. I will not turn a blind eye. Going for a jog should not be a death sentence. Sleeping in your own home should not be a death sentence. Playing video games. With your nephew should not be a death sentence. It's not a death sentence, everyone. This is hysteria. This is hyperbole. This is Hollywood celebrities being the ignorant fools who are just desperate for attention and pretending to care so much about a movement and about the people that it represents. That's what this is. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ain't no party like a Team Buck party, because a Team Buck party don't stop. Yeah, we got Buck turned up to 11. It's time for Roll Call. Indeed. Facebook.com slash Buck Sexton or Team Buck at iHeartMedia.com if you want to send an email. Also, if you send in an Instagram message, just please put a name that we can use on the air. Uh, that way we can actually get to your comments that way. And if you have not already, please do follow me on the gram, as the cool kids say. Or maybe just the kids. I don't know if the cool kids say it that way, but that's what I'm told. Um, and Producer Mark, I need you to get on TikTok so you can tell me what the youth are up to. Uh, I do, uh, I don't TikTok myself, but I watch some TikToks. Well, there we go. Okay, it's so you're already on TikTok. I found that it's a great way to, like, burn 30 minutes, and you're like, what did I just do with myself? And you just sit there. 30 minutes, that's it? I mean, probably more like three hours. But yeah. let's, not, let's not admit that on national radio. Um, also, I was going to watch Gone with the Wind, not just because HBO Max pulled it, but because I, well, there's that, but also I've never seen it before. Do you know how long it is, Producer Mark? I'm, is it quite long? Four hours. Oh, yeah. I would never watch that. No, no chance. chance. No way I'm devoting four hours to watching this movie. It's just not going to happen. So I, I take that back. I'm not going to watch Gone with the Wind. The only movie that I've ever seen that is longer than three hours that is worth every single minute 
of that three hours and about 20 minutes, I think it is. There's only one movie for me that goes that distance and is worth it. And it is Braveheart. That's it. I can't. Hmm. It, can you, is there a three hour movie? That you're like, yeah, that needed to be three hours. Um, the last Avengers movie. Yeah. Was that three hours? I believe so. Is that the one where they're all depressed and Thor is fat? Yeah, Endgame? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I'm checking the runtime on it now. So yeah, three hours and two minutes. Um, see, I haven't seen that one, so I can't weigh in Every on Every second matters in that movie. Love it. Producer Nick, do you have a three-hour... Oh, the God... Damn it, he's right. The oh, Godfather. yeah, The Godfather. All right, fine. There's two movies that are worth it being above three hours. But people would say, oh, Dances with Wolves. No, Dances with Wolves should have been... Dances with Wolves should have been two hours long. Movie's too long. Way too much. A lot of fat you could cut out of that one. Um, you could so make the saying. case that Harry Potter 7 and 8 are one movie because they, they encapsulate the last book. Oh, man, I'll tell you a movie that definitely should not have been... It shouldn't have been more than 60 minutes. It should have been like a 20-minute sitcom episode. The Hobbit movie. That thing, those things went on forever and ever and ever. And I'm just like, what am I even watching here at some point? Yeah, I never saw it. That, that yeah, doesn't not, interest not me. Not good, not worth it. All right. Mesa writes in, I'm not OSS, but I think I'm OMS, Original Mark Squad. Oh, Mark's got his own squad, does he? I'm pretty sure I was the first to write in to comment on producer Mark's greatness. Until someone proves me wrong, I think I'll take credit for recognizing his greatness first. Anyway, did you know that you were mentioned on Joe Rogan's podcast last week? Some of your old colleagues from the Hill were on the show and gave you a shout out. I actually think you and Joe would have a good conversation. You should make that happen. Keep up the great work, guys. Shields high. Um, yeah, I, I uh, look, I'd love to go on the Joe Rogan show. I've never been invited on, and uh, that would be great. And I, I did hear about this shout-out that I got from my friends Sagar and Jetty and Crystal Ball, uh, who, are, who are both buddies of mine. Sagar and I share political views, um, and uh, Crystal and I do not. But uh, nonetheless, we are friends, and I'm very pleased that they both have had the success they do and that things continue to go well with that show so yeah i did hear about that i will shout out on the rogan i believe rogan said that it sounds like a porn star name i mean he's yes. not wrong what's yeah i mean i you know at this point i always tell my mom and dad i'm like did you guys ever really think about that because that's it's always been my name it's not a stage name i was a little kid everyone called me buck uh and mom and dad are like it's a strong name it's a powerful name i'm like i mean okay but it's a name you get made fun of for your whole life is it really worth it <laughs> i can tell you this when i have a kid his name is going to be like John. <laughs> His name is not going to be something funky. So just saying, that'll be my, that'll be my, you know, you give your, give your pets funky names. You should, uh, how about Richard? Why Richard? You know what a nickname for Richard is? Oh, producer Mark. Good heavens, man. Nick, Buck and Mark do not move to Austin. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We got all these people writing in from Austin. Do you guys just not want us to be your neighbors? Don't move to Austin. The capital city of Texas has become the lib capital of Texas. I moved here six years ago to escape California and I lived all over the state working as a rig welder in the pipeline industry. Austin is like a bad dream of being back in California every time I go there. The problem with this state is all the people from their broken blue states moving here and not adopting new ideas and dragging their beliefs with them. I will live in Texas until I die. I love this state and the show. Keep crushing libs as you do. Shields high. Well, thank you, Nick. 
Producer Mark, Florida's looking better and better every day, man. Why do you think the anti-Texas messages keep getting on the show? Yeah, I was going to say, it's almost like I know who's, who's pulling, the, uh, pulling the roll call messages here. Speaking of Richards, Richard, happy Hoosier hellos. Quick story on Chicago. My best friend Emily lives near O'Hare by the split. I don't know what that means, the split, but anyway. Her neighborhood called a meeting, and a cop in the neighborhood told them how bad everything was. Then they all pooled money and built barricades to block the streets, and only one street you could travel in and out by car. There are volunteers who watch that entrance and exit. She and her family left. Luckily, the riots have not come to their neighborhood. Walls work, but American citizens should not have to build walls to protect their property from looters. This is nuts. Keep your Italian beef spicy with gravy and your shields high. Uh, keep your Italian beef spicy with gravy. What Isn't is that? that a Chicago delicacy? Yeah, I was going to say, is it? I don't know. I think so. I just know Polish sausage, which is delicious. Hey, I'm over in the, the west side. I ate the Polish sausage. Hey, right? Sure. I, I like a nice sausage and peppers sandwich with a little fresh mozzarella. Sausage, peppers, bowl of sausage. Oh, you're producer doing Mar- the thing for Mr. Mark. I is, get it now. Okay. Producer Mark, who, yeah, that's a Chris Farley thing. Producer Mark, who is Italian, I'm sorry, Producer Nick, rather, who is Italian, says Italians call red sauce gravy. What? Oh, yeah, kind that's of, very common. What? Red sauce is gravy? Gravy is what you pour on a turkey at Thanksgiving, and it is usually a beige or brown color. Have you really never heard an Italian call red sauce gravy before? No. That's a completely normal thing, especially in the Northeast, where you've lived your whole life. Never, never heard this. In, never heard this in my life. Uh, I don't know what. The, I've never heard an, an Italian call red sauce gravy. I've heard it called marinara sauce. I mean, listen, I know you're Irish, but you've definitely met an Italian before. Yeah. You know what? You know what? You know what Irish call gravy? Guinness. Uh, I mean, pour it on everything. It's right. You pour Guinness on stuff. That's just no, I'm just just trying to make an Irish joke. But, you know, it's it's the best the best I could do on short notice. Jeff heard you mention this the other day in the context of lawless major American cities. The bullets go up, so they have to go down. I don't I did. I, I didn't say that. What is that? Uh, I've always wondered where do they? Oh, oh, no, I did. Ma- I'm sorry. I did say this. I, I, I'm confused, Jeff. You're right. When I said that the bullets go up in the air and then they come down. Yeah. Firing off like, quote, celebratory rounds is very dangerous. Those bullets go up. They come down very fast and they can kill people. I've always wondered where do they come down? You never hear stories about a bullet randomly falling out of the air and killing someone, right? As a former military police guy, I thought you might have some good insight on this. Love the show. Um, no, Jeff, you do hear stories about people getting hit with random gunfire in places where they do this. You know, for, if you type in Fourth of July, you know, random bullet, and you'll see people on the Fourth of July will fire off guns in the air in some places. This is a big problem also in parts of the world where everybody's got an AK in the mud-walled compound, if you know what I mean, and during... You know, weddings and uh, during other celebrations, they'll just all fire AKs off in the air. Those bullets come down. They usually don't they don't come down right because remember, someone's going to be firing at an angle and then the trajectory of the bullet, you know, with and with the wind and everything else. But those bullets come down very fast and they will hit people and they will go through them. So it does happen. Uh, And there are some there are some cases that you'll see where at uh, someone will be 
in their home and they'll find a, you know, a, a round from like a 30 out six or something. And and then they'll be like, what happened? And they'll find out there's a gun range, you know, a mile away and somebody fired too high and the bullet will hit their building or, you know, hit their their wall. So that does happen. But, yeah, no, it's very dangerous to be firing off rounds up in the air, uh, especially you can imagine in a dense city like New York. Yep, it happens. Uh, John Buck. <laughs> oh, man, come on. Come on, John. Come on, producer Mark. You are our KLBJ Austin people. That you guys got to write in and sell us on Austin right, here a little for bit. For the record, it's not like I'm writing these messages. They're just coming in. Yeah, but are you are you weeding out the messages for people who are like, I'm really not. Mark, move to Austin. We love you at KLBJ. I, I swear to There's you, not barbecue. one message has said that. Dude, I have access to our Facebook page, right. too. I'm going to start looking. So go ahead and look. I promise <laughs> you, you won't find out. any. Uh, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, there's all these messages like "Bucket producer Mark, Fort Lauderdale is awesome, and perhaps if you move here, everything will be better in life." I'm like, where did this come from? We haven't gotten way, any that, of those that messages. The, is that the top choice for you? I, if it is Florida, what is the top choice in Florida? Yeah, that general South Florida, Fort Lauderdale-ish area. We, uh, my wife and I have family there. Her grandparents live down there, and I used to live there, so I know I it well. I got a buddy who's XMYPD, and he's in Fort Lauderdale. He's just like, Buck, I'm not going to hard sell you on this, but the taxes are better. You can get a concealed carry permit in like a week or a day or whatever it is. And the weather's perfect, and there's great food. Yeah, I I look, look. But why do we want that, Producer Mark, when we can pay through the nose to all be jammed up in traffic constantly or on the subway in a city that is rapidly deteriorating with people looting and rioting? Wait, they don't have a subway in Fort Lauderdale? I'm out. Yeah, exactly. I got to be shoulder to shoulder, coughing on people during flu season. That's what we need to be happy. Not. Well, you know whenever you used to do that back in the 90s? People would be like, hey, that's a really great idea you've got there. Not. That they was uh, Borat. Borat did it, but it yeah. used to be a thing in like people actually thought it was cool in the 90s for a while. Yeah, people did it. And that's what Borat was making right. fun Borat of. Borat is like yeah. 20 years. And then behind, it came so back. Yeah, yeah. It's like that guy who's on the, the in the movie Euro Trip, uh, which was from the early 2000s. And he's like, we love Miami Weiss. Number one hit show. Who? Stop. Hammer time. Remember that guy? Sure. Yeah, because he's 20 years behind. Yeah, Eastern Europe. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, producer Nick weighed in there briefly to tell us that uh, he, he, he is surprised as well that I've never heard of an Italian-American in the northeast of the United States referring to red sauce as gravy. So I, I guess this is now a thing. Not what, but oh, I'm pr- I'm sure I'm gonna have people in the rest of the country who are also right in to say, "Buck, it's called pop, not soda." I'm like, no, a pop is my dad. Okay, we don't. We, it's called soda. Haven't you seen Grandma's Sunday gravy on a menu at an Italian restaurant? Never, uh, never. You don't go to you go to bougie places then. You don't go to good Italian restaurants. I, I got to go to some places where they got a marinara sauce, a homemade with a mama's tomatoes. There's some places on Long Island, fantastic. No, dude, I'll, we, we can do it. We can do a road trip as soon as the city opens up and we're not going to get, you know, waylaid by by uh, hooligans and, and ruffians. So there you go. Mike wrote in on Instagram. Speaking of Texas, Buck, uh, during your show in regards to the other person from Austin uh, who said not to move here, they're absolutely right. 
Austin has turned into a real leftist crap hole. I've been here for 21 years and work in public service. I can't wait to retire and leave this place vowing never to return. It's really bad. <laughs> Guys, what are you doing to me? I just what want to doing? point out that I have no access to the Instagram. Yeah, no, this so is So I couldn't I just, have possibly I planted a quick that. Scan. I was hoping to find, I thought maybe, you know, we would get, uh, I thought maybe we would get something on, you know, Instagram. So I did a quick search for anything Austin based. And the first one I pull up, <laughs> come on, KLBJ Austin. We love you folks. Someone, so one of you has got to be like a you know real estate agent at least. Just like, come on down. We'll sell you a great house. Oh, man. Austin's like, for people in New York, it sounds like the promised land. It sounds amazing. I don't know. I've never been, though. So we got to get down there and visit. But yes, yes, Fort Lauderdale, no income tax. We know, we know. JD, uh, Buck, I've been listening to your show for a while now and have become an avid listener. Uh, I've been trying to stand tall throughout all the chaos that's unfolding, but just have my legs swept out from under me. I'm active duty military, and my CO just sent out an all-hands email on an official government platform apologizing for his white privilege. As I am sure you are aware, this is totally unacceptable and extremely demoralizing for rank-and-file like myself. The language of the virtue-signaling left is reflective of that of the Cultural Revolution from China. This has got to stop. JD, thank you for being an avid listener. I'm sorry you got to deal with that, but I'm, I am thankful and I'm pleased that you see this with clarity it is not appropriate to send out an email for someone in your chain of command that's where he's apologizing for his white privilege. Because this also, of course, puts additional pressure on people that are in the rank and file to, well, I guess they've got to apologize for the right white privilege, too. Um, I, I do not apologize for my white privilege. I do not see myself as having white privilege. And that's not going to change. People can try to they can construct all these narratives and do whatever they want. Nope. I apologize for what I do, what I'm responsible for, what I say and my actions. I do not apologize for how I was born. That is a principle. That is not something that is going to be changed by people yelling at me and making demands. Jamie. uh, Hey, Buck and producer Mark. It would be great if you guys could do a post pandemic tour, maybe rent an RV and visit some radio stations. So Buck could get Buck could get some support from Team Buck. And next time you have a President Trump on, can we get a Shields High from him? Thanks. And bring Tallulah on the tour. We couldn't bring Tallulah on the tour because she would be the star. And uh, that would be, we would, yeah, we'd, she'd get too much attention. So that's the only problem because she's so beautiful and so wonderful. So producer Mark and I would get jealous. Although he would like Tallulah too because she's very, she's very mellow and, uh, and doesn't talk a lot. So that's, that's a good thing. Ethan, and Tallulah is a a French bulldog, in case I didn't make that clear. Ethan, hey, Buck, you recently suggested reading Bonfire of the Vanities for Tom Wolfe for the past few weeks, even before all the chaos. I've been telling my wife I want to watch the movie version with Tom Hanks. Saw it years ago, thought it was pretty well done. Keep up the good work. You're helping keep keep us sane in an insane world. Ethan, the book is much better than the movie. And that's going to be it for today, team. Until tomorrow, shields high.